Volume One, Chapter Six of *The Rebel Rose* by Justin McCarthy and Rosa Campbell Prade. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six, Madame Spinola at Home. The Countess Spinola lived in a small, old-fashioned house in the Buckingham Palace region. The Countess Spinola was an English woman married to an Italian, and it was well understood that he and she were poor at least that they had but slender means according to all received traditions of satire and fiction count spinola ought to be in such circumstances a mere sham nobleman and his english wife ought to be a woman of real position sacrificed to him but it was not so in this case count spinola was unquestionably a man of high and genuine rank and nobody quite knew what his english wife had been some people said she had been an actress some whispered that she had been an artist's model and that if you wanted to appreciate to the full her claims to be considered beautiful you had only to go to the south kensington museum and see the painting of andromeda chained to the rock which was done by the lately deceased chief of romantic school of art but all this was only talk and no one had anything substantial to say against madame spinola except that she was very pretty that she was poor and that nevertheless she and her husband managed to see a good deal of society their parties might indeed be said to represent a certain phase of london society and a book professing to describe london life would certainly not be complete unless it took in madame spinola and her set the countess spinola was very pretty and oddly enough she the englishwoman was dark-haired and her husband the italian was fair not many women came to madame spinola's parties perhaps she was too pretty to make women anxious to go near her a lady of fashion once laid it down as a canon of good taste that no really well-bred hostess ought to be prettier than every one of her guests the reason why women kept away from the place could not be because madame spinola flirted a little now with this man and now with that for she did not flirt nearly so much as many ladies did whose drawing-rooms nevertheless had in them more petticoats than pantaloons and indeed madame spinola's flirtations were very general and so evenly distributed as almost altogether to disarm ill-nature itself still the women did not come much only a few came who were well known to madame spinola who were regular pals of hers and would have kept her, her through thick and thin and some like a certain mrs rivers who would go to any house at which there was a man to be seen or a supper to be eaten madame spinola however did not seem much to miss the fair sex her house was a rendezvous for agreeable lively distinguished and sometimes fast men she could hardly be said to give formal parties she never issued invitations but she was at home on certain nights in the season and her friends were free to go and see her then and one might come very late for the meetings were well kept up if she anywhere met a man she liked she told him he might come and see her on any or all of her evenings and then if he was on the free list so to speak if he wished to bring some friend into the circle he asked madame's permission and it was generally given and the permission put him too on the free list if a man only came once in the season the countess was satisfied but if he did not she gave him to understand that he was not to come any other season there were some faithful friends who came every night regularly and stayed till the very end there was always a little supper very late in a rather small room below stairs 
madame spinola passed round among her guests the word who should go first when so many had remained as to make it impossible that all should sit down together her principle was to send down first those she least cared for they did not usually sit very long over their supper having the disturbing consciousness that others among whom was the hostess herself were waiting for a turn then those who came last stayed over their supper and their drinks as long as they liked and cigars and cigarettes were lit up and people made themselves really happy the supper was simple but in its way it was dainty delicious little sandwiches gelatins and the appetizing dish which one meets with so often in new york but is so rare in its appearance in london the real chicken salad there was good sound claret there were some excellent wines in huge straw-sheathed flagons there were brandies and soda there was really fine whisky madame spinola kept no manservants the waiting was done by two bright and quick-witted as well as nimble-handed tuscan girls it was said that people sometimes played and played highly and deeply at count spinola's house and this was talked of as a possible explanation of madame spinola's frequent entertainments madame spinola wore diamonds fine diamonds who gave them to her folks inquired with meaning glances and shrugs if there was any gaming indulged in at the spinolas it was certain that bellarmine never saw it although at one time he was a frequent guest perhaps the explanation of the entertainments is as simple as that of many a social mystery count spinola although he had but a small income certainly had an income and a regular one and the pair had no children madame was still very young very lively very fond of company and her husband was very fond of her is it not within the limits of bare possibility that she may have liked to spend some of her income on a succession of little parties cheap in themselves but which often brought her in the season a company that the riches of the richest city stockbroker might have failed to attract to his vast dining-table is it not credible that count spinola may have been glad to be able to afford his wife this one pleasure which she so loved and may even have been willing to pinch himself in other ways that she might not be deprived of this enjoyment may he not have admitted to himself that he owed her some recompense for having bound her youth and her charms up with his elderly companionship but this is not the fashion of reasoning in vanity fair now mr bellarmine don't you attempt to go away without supper and don't attempt to go down with the first lot i won't have it you must stay and you must wait for me i haven't seen you for ever so long and tommy tressel is coming and he's the hero of the hour is he not i am in rare good fortune to-night now your word i pledge myself bellarmine said to take you down to supper hear me swear bellarmine was very popular in this circle and indeed in most circles his good spirits his bright ways his flow of talk his utter freedom from pretentiousness made him a favorite he never patronized any man and he did not carry the tone of the house of commons always in his voice he never took account in private life of what a man's politics might be and therefore he was welcome to out-and-out -out radicals as well as to no-surrender tories and even to pale-blooded lymphatic whigs with whom lady saxon notwithstanding he was naturally less congenial one of those who now rushed up most vociferously to greet him was big ross bingley a journalist the noisiest the cheeriest of men 
with his big frame his big head his big beard his big voice his big laugh ross bingley was a living type of bigness he had been a war correspondent and a resident foreign correspondent and now he was settled down in london journalism he hated numbers of men whom he did not know for bingley unlike most journalists was a fierce politician but he liked everyone he knew he could spend hours in execrating champion's most devoted followers and if he had been brought into personal relationship with champion he would doubtless soon have come to adore him too he could talk many languages and play on many instruments and had been in love a great many times in a great many countries now a london home and a wife claimed him as their own his pith helmet which he used to wear in his war correspondence days was metaphorically speaking a hive for bees like that of the noble old warrior in the poem and mrs bingley ruled him now mr bellarmin you must talk to me no no you must not go away at least not just yet i have not seen you for ever so many ages this was spoken by mrs rivers who caught his arm to emphasize her appeal bellarmin protested that there was nothing he so longed for in existence as a talk with mrs rivers and as he looked into the dimming beauty of her eyes and heard her voluble tongue going he began to moralize mentally and to preach to himself a little wan and outworn sermon on the nothingness of human hopes short comparatively as had been his experience of london society he could almost remember mrs rivers a beauty she was one of the first of the galaxy of professional beauties who were publicly recognized as such and dubbed with that name of doubtful compliment when bellarmin heard of her she was the central star of almost every social constellation men of rank and fashion and wealth and genius swarmed around her scrambled to get near her were proud to be seen with her even to be seen saluting her in the park now nobody cared twopence about her she had to ask men to come and sit by her she had to insist on their talking to her she had to get up and cross the room to arrive at some particular man who would not arrive at her in her bright days she had never troubled herself about women and now women never troubled themselves about her what had happened in the meantime she had gone off she had gone down she had gone out but there were others who had started as professional beauties with her who were keeping the field as professional beauties still she had not quite lost her charms although her lustre had faded and her figure had got too firmly set and her movements were stiffer at all events were less supple than they used to be she had had a quiet separation from her husband they did not get on very well together there was no scandal she had never been seriously talked about with any man but after her separation from her husband she got into a way of drifting about the social world which was fatal to her she had to make herself too cheap the allowance from her husband was small and she knew that if she gave cause for scandal it would be stopped altogether in the days when her beauty was fresher and more prized she could of course have found admirers who would have lavished money upon her but if she was not good enough to depend on goodness neither was she bad enough to depend on badness she must have society the society of men she must have admiration or at all events the profession of admiration and she made this too plain men began not to care about her began to avoid her to think her a bore even to speak of her as a bore women sometimes talked of her as 
poor old mrs rivers and she was hardly outside forty yet when she went to a party which in the season she did every night in the week sundays included her mind was always set on finding some good-natured man to take her home it was not for the sake or in the hope of being flirted with or made love to or being complimented it was wholly and entirely to escape the payment of her cab fare if she had to pay all her cab fares she could not go out to parties and if she could not go out to parties she could not live bellarmin was always very kind and good-natured to mrs rivers he had taken her home many a time although he had come to know long ago what was the reason of her anxiety for escort she touched him with a curious feeling of pity he was amused in a half melancholy way to observe how she succeeded now and then in getting hold of some very young man to whose vanity it was pleasing to suppose that he was mashing a married woman who had been perhaps even still was accounted a professional beauty soon the very young man dropped off perhaps he heard someone talk slightingly of old jenny rivers and his feeble factitious love-light went out at once another youth would no doubt succeed to him but the succession must every season be more and more interrupted and at last must come to an end altogether what then would remain for the poor creature who had staked all her earthly happiness on society and on men's admiration if she sank into being recognized as a mere bore among men the women certainly would not invite her to their parties how could she live without these parties they formed part of her means of living she did not very often get asked out to dinner now but still she had some dinner invitations and when she was not lucky enough to have a dinner on hand she ate no dinner and made up for the want as soon as she decently could by going to the refreshment room of some evening party there she consumed her sandwiches with only too keen an appetite and she drank her wine with a heart as merry as well might be under all the conditions sometimes her first really solid meal in the day was made at a ball supper table when the season was over she got invited a good deal to country places still people in the country regarded her yet as one of the reigning queens of society and were astonished when some irreverent young man or woman fresh from the west end of london described her as an old bore there is not after all very much that is more truly tragic in the world than such a career such an ambition such a game of life such a failure such an end mrs rivers is but the type of many a woman who hangs on to the skirts of london society mrs rivers talked with a curious little emphasis on wholly unimportant words the truth was that she never quite knew what she was talking about and so got into the way of trying to supply meaning by emphasis her mind was as nearly as possible empty of all but her own little schemes and shifts and dodges in her professional beauty days men delighted in the vapid chatter which rippled through such full red lips the lips were full and red still but somehow the value of a professional beauty depends very much on what society says of her she may be a beauty still to the cool impartial eye but if society ceases to regard her in that light then there is no use protesting there is an end to her beauty so men now began to value the chatter at its real worth now that they had ceased to believe in the loveliness of the lips through which it flowed i saw you the other day mr bellarmin but you did not see me at least i suppose so i must hope so it was in palace yard 
and she laid as much emphasis on the word yard as if there were serious possibility of his supposing that she had seen him on the palace roof you were driving by in a hansom i do drive into palace yard in a hansom pretty often mrs rivers i think that i pass a great part of my time in hansoms you are so much occupied so much sought after i wonder you have time to come here to-night to honour a company like this with your presence do you know i am told that you are invited out to more dinners than any other man in london nothing of the kind i can assure you i am not by any means such a favourite in society besides it wouldn't be any use i have to dine so often in the house of commons i can't help it if i am in a thing i like to stick to it mrs rivers yes i see and how is your beautiful princess my princess repeated bellarmin with a startled and somewhat displeased glance back at mrs rivers from whom his eyes had been roaming oh i heard about you this evening the lady who is said to be so like mary queen of scots and whom the society papers are talking about and who they tell me is going to set up some claim to the crown jewels or the revenue or the duchy of lancaster or the crown itself suggested bellarmin well i don't know perhaps even the crown itself but tell me all about her is she coming here to-night here oh no bellarmin said with a sudden wonder that he could not conceal oh no how odd of you mr bellarmin you seem to be quite shocked at my question but what was there wrong in it why might she not be here there's nothing surely in our dear hostess which should make it so very extraordinary that even a young lady of great family should condescend to cross her threshold my dear mrs rivers i never meant anything of the kind i was presented to miss beaton for the first time an hour or two ago and i am a great friend and admirer of our hostess as i am a great friend and admirer of yours but you know the political ways of people differ so much that i was a little astonished at the thought of an uncompromising representation of jacobitism and divine right being found in this cosmopolitan assembly where the red republican lion lies down with the peace society lamb mrs rivers did not in the least understand what he was talking about but she looked up and saw some woman passing who had occasionally slighted her and she was delighted to be seen in apparently deep and confidential conversation with the fashionable and brilliant bellarmin the enigma of so many conjectures and speculations at the same moment she thought she detected in bellarmin's manner a desire to escape and she could not allow him to go while her critic and enemy was still in sight but now mr bellarmin there is something i wanted so much to ask you about something very particular indeed and you can tell me and mrs rivers began exploring all the corners of her mind to discover something on which she wanted to get mr bellarmin's opinion delighted mrs rivers tell you anything you want to know bellarmin said vaguely but mrs rivers had fastened on her hostess who was passing kitty dearest she whispered in a tone quite audible to bellarmin may i stay for the second lot too i do so love to hear mr bellarmin and i want to congratulate mr tressel but jenny love i'm afraid we shan't have room oh but i must now i must mrs rivers implored and her once lovely features underwent an odd little contortion like what children call making a face she was really on the brink of the fountain of tears 
she had been so little used in her bright days to be contradicted and crossed in anything the best places had always been for her you dear old silly the good-natured hostess exclaimed of course you must have your way i'll pack off somebody else never mind i'll manage it somehow oh here is tommy tressel tommy tommy we all congratulate you how do you do kitty mr tressel drawled out in languorous accents as he entered the little drawing-room and with a single glance of his half-closed eyes seemed to take in the individuality of every creature in it how do bellarmin i am going to have a row with you oh i am so delighted countess spinola exclaimed i'm so glad when you have a row it is such fun but i am afraid of tressel bellarmin said i always find that i am bound over to keep the peace when i meet him as captain bobadil found when he was suddenly confronted with downright now who is captain what's-his-name and who is downright madame spinola asked are these nicknames of men in the house is it true that they call one man pussy and somebody else the goat what do they call you tressel they call me drawl replied tressel promptly and they call bellarmin rattle this was pure invention struck off on the spur of the moment you haven't looked at me mr tressel mrs rivers complained with appealing eyes haven't i really jenny then i will come and let me look at you this was exactly what mrs rivers would have delighted in she just wanted tressel to sit beside her and look at her but tressel turned away immediately and began to talk to someone else in countess spinola's little drawing-room the manners were free men went there at least men of mr tressel's order because they were wanted to go and because they liked it they did not feel under any strict obligation to be attentive to the women they met there the women were called by their christian names as often as not with the addition of the word dear mr bingley usually went a step further and called each woman darling tressel did not get as far as the use of dear or darling his manner rather said oh yes i see you are there i suppose i ought to call you jenny and say something nice there now i have called you jenny and said something nice run away and play with somebody else yet mr tressel was no woman-hater or report belied him tressel the honourable spencer christian tressel was a tall thin man with a swaying body he always looked through life with half-closed eyes but he saw a good deal his profile was aquiline and in its outline thus suggested something of the force of character and the strong individuality which the half-closed eyes and the languorous accent might have hidden or denied spencer tressel was the younger son of a nobleman he had offended his father very early in life by avowing radical opinions good-natured people said he had only assumed these opinions to spite his noble parent and that if his father had become a radical the son would have declared himself converted back to the tory faith however that might be spencer tressel stuck to his opinions he further offended his father by marrying a very poor and very pretty girl his father made him only a miserable allowance his brothers dropped his acquaintance he discovered suddenly that he had great capacity for political writing and he got an engagement to write leading articles for a bright and audacious evening paper he lived manfully with his wife on his earnings as a journalist and the pair were as happy as birds in soft springtime the happiness was almost as short-lived as the springtime the young wife took sickness and died tressel disappeared from the sight of all friends and acquaintances for a long while 
no one knew where he was he held communication with nobody people were beginning to forget him when he suddenly turned up in london again he never made the slightest allusion to the death of his wife and he never said a word about his long absence some time after he told a friend that he meant to marry for money and he did marry a good-natured uninteresting widow with an immense fortune not long after his second marriage a distant relative of his who had never taken the slightest notice of him got into some sort of quarrel with tressel's father and to annoy him made a will leaving his whole fortune to tressel and died soon after the will was made probably if this event had happened a little earlier tressel would not have married the rich widow but he was very kind and attentive to her though he did not in any way give up his life to her he made politics his business as he said his amusement as others preferred to put it he was always assailing and denouncing the peerage and especially members of that highly privileged body who had had the good fortune to serve their country as foreign ambassadors tressel's father had been at the head of several embassies tressel now had a great house in one of the most fashionable squares and was understood to be a good deal of a wire-puller in the interests of the extreme radical party perhaps the principal stimulant to his taste for wire-pulling in this direction was the good of his country according to his understanding of it perhaps it was to be found in the fact that whenever a tory ministry was displaced tressel's father and elder brother straightway had to bundle out of office are you going my way bellarmin when you leave this tressel said as there set in a general movement and scattering some guests having come from the supper-room others preparing to go down going anyway i don't much mind well walk my way then don't let's drive i hate driving all right bellarmin answered i will discourse with my philosopher end of volume one chapter six